ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the You Mad Bro podcast, and I warn you of mature content ahead. This show aims to tackle controversial topics going on in the world on a week-to-week basis. The platform of this program is opinionated and occasionally supported by examples and facts, but does not ever aim to be definite. That being said, the views offered by our hosts and guests are not intended to offend or hurt the feelings of any person, no matter their race, gender, sexual orientation, political viewpoint, etc., They only serve as catalysts for poor attempts at humor and maybe a different way of thinking. If you're such an individual that is easily offended or cannot handle your own viewpoints being challenged, you've been adequately warned to not participate. If you're still with us, then please stand, kneel, or lay down. Just be sure to remove your ball caps for the national anthem. What? You mad, bro? Everyone settle down, settle down. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back for another episode edition of the You Mad Bro podcast on ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com where you can check out all of our archives. Nash, we were off last week because you were back home in Nashville. How was your time off, big guy? How did your parents like your girlfriend? It was great. They enjoyed her. Um, it was a shame because the Titans got COVID. That, that wasn't good. <laughs> That's why I went down. Well, may- maybe maybe next year because a lot of the football players are having COVID. Uh, a lot of the games are getting postponed. Maybe we'll talk about that next week if it gets worse because this week we are talking about Donald Trump having COVID. And Donald Trump's pretty much saying no stimulus, yes stimulus, maybe stimulus. I don't know. We'll see, but Nash, this week we are joined by a very special guest, my good friend and my boss, nevertheless, uh, Jill Malandrino from NASDAQ Trade Talk. So, Jill, thank you very much for joining us, and please don't fire me after this. <laughs> well, well, you know what? So, I started off in equity trading in the late 90s um, when I was 19, so figure... Um, I guess almost 25 years ago. And I think the pinnacle of my career is being on a podcast called You Mad Bro. And it's funny because um, my fantasy football team that I've been doing, I think it's my ninth year. It's a bunch of options traders um, from New York and Chicago that do it. And fortunately, my my week last week, my guys were playing against the Titans. So um, that oh, certainly helped me out. But it, it's been quite a crazy year. And if you guys ever do a fantasy football auction podcast, let me know. Because I think my favorite <laughs> night of the year is auction night. So, But, I mean, that's that's kind of the trader in you, right? Like, if there's a market, if there's you can trade, like, you'll do it. it it's pretty cool. I've had my fair share of fantasy football leagues. Let me tell you, I'm not good at it, and everyone gets mad at me. So I've I have retired my <laughs> fantasy football days. But if you do have a fantasy football podcast out there, go to biggestpodcastsolutions.com and sign up with us, and we can help you distribute it and do whatever you want with it. So there's that. Thanks for the shameless plug, Jill. So let's <laughs> let's jump right in head first with Donald Trump has now tested negative two days in a row for COVID. So he's probably overcome COVID faster than anybody in the entire country. Surprising or not surprising. But um, this is mainly going to be this discussion based around the three of us. Quick facts. It was announced last Friday that Trump did test positive. He was admitted to the hospital on Saturday and he was released on Monday. As of this uh, last Wednesday, he had no fever or symptoms. And as of today, he has tested negative twice in a row. So, Jill, what was your initial thought when you found out that Donald Trump, our president, got COVID? Well, there's 
couple of things here. And um, as a reporter, I try and stay as central as I possibly can. I think there's an issue with so many reporters inserting their opinion into the conversation. Definitely, and definitely. regardless, um, I, I, I don't agree with most of the issues that he brings to the table, a couple that I do, but Will, honestly, you know, there's that argument where he was flippant about the whole thing and you know, he's responsible for the 200,000 plus uh, deaths through, you know, ignorance and a non-coordinated plan. But look, at the end of the day, um, he's still a person. I'm a big believer in karma. He has a family. He does have a base. He is the president of the United States. And I don't wish ill will on anyone. So, um, you know, just to kick this off, I, I'm happy to see that he has recovered. Um, we, 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 any kind of death is not good. It's sad no matter who it is. I will say, however, my concerns are the way that it has been handled, and it's not too surprising, but the average person like the three of us will not have access to the doctors and the treatment that they offer Walter Reed. Part of it is insurance issues. Part of mm -hmm. it is even though the treatment he got in his mind cured him, it's not available at mass scale, and that's the issue. So when we think about if there is a cure, if the FDA approves this, if this test works, if this treatment works, the issue is manufacturing at mass scale for the nearly 8 billion people on this planet that would require some kind of vaccination. The other issue is to, um, you have the anti-vax movement, and more important than that is we have not had the time to study the science or the patients to understand how this disease can infect you going forward. How does it compromise your respiratory system neurologically or, yeah. or whatever? And, and that's a big issue. So even when a vaccination is available and just to bring it home, my mother just turned 70 October 8th. Happy birthday, mama. Um, she is obviously older. She is also a type two diabetic who is dependent on 24 seven catheter insulin right yeah. so just because a vaccination is available doesn't mean it's right for every person in the population and when you politicize a disease and i can't believe that we're talking about this in 2020 in the united states of america we don't know how a vaccination or how the disease impacts populations that are vulnerable longer term right and even if we can say older people aren't getting as much because they're taking precautions, even with the younger population, how do you know if future diseases or the vaccination can impact you going forward? And I think to be flippant and say, oh, I'm cured, it's not a big deal. I mean, you know, Will and Nash, think about it. The, when it first was announced that Friday night, everyone was like, oh, does he actually have it? Is this some way for him to get out of the tax yep. conversation? Yeah. This is the president of the freaking United States, the leader of the free world. And we're questioning things like this. I, I can't wrap my head around the past four years and where we are right now. Yeah. And not only that, like people, there's, there's no clear cut news story about when he was in the hospital, how well his symptoms were. You know, some people were saying like a doctor was saying he's doing great. He's doing fine. And apparently other doctors leaked like, no, he's struggling to breathe. His blood pressure is like below nine. 90. This guy's in serious trouble. And then three days later on Monday, he's released and he seems to be doing okay. And it's just, it's just a crazy, it's a crazy world we're in. And the fact that people actually believe it, I was talking to my mother, my own mother was like, he's faking him. Like, what do you mean he's faking it? It one, one, it doesn't make any political sense that he would fake it. But yeah, I mean, it's everyone who in the White House, all of his staff, the 32 people, 40 people who have gotten it are also faking it. Now that I heard this morning that, 
out of all the people who he's come in contact with and they, they've come in contact with, it's up between six and 8,000 people could have contracted the virus since he's been out of the hospital. Right. And Will, and you make an excellent point there because it's a matter of not having proper contract tracing in place. I get what your mom is saying. I, I, I could see someone like a Trump coming out there and saying, oh, I beat it. And you have to understand you're dealing with someone where he views a disease as weakness. Yeah. So the and, and he's treating this almost like a reality show where, you know, I, I mean, even look at going on the balcony and taking, you know, ripping off the mask. It's just the way things have been handled. And again, you know, um, regardless of my political persuasion, it's, and, and I actually am more center than anything else. There's a lot of mm -hmm. things I agree with on, on, on the right side. There's a lot that I agree with on the left side. And I, under, you know, we need to come together in the center somewhere, but to be that flippant. And then tonight, as you guys are well aware of, he put a tweet out there heading to Orlando for a rally, big crowds, exclamation point. Yeah. I mean, it blows <laughs> my mind. And, and, and here's the whole thing. Think about this, Will and Nash, when kids come home for Thanksgiving break, which is around the corner, yeah. they're coming back in, whether it's through the airlines or whatever transportation, coming back into their families, then they're going to go back. And it, it's, we just don't have this under control. And the sad thing is, if we would have taken a cue from um, the APAC region, China, Singapore, Japan, how they handled it and had those strict draconian lockdowns, if you will, we would not be having this conversation right now. And I, I just can't wrap my head around how something like this has been politicized. We, we, you know, there was, um, when we had an epidemic, when President Obama was in office and we took some strict measures, we actually sent doctors overseas to Africa to try and help eradicate this. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a lot of people out there who thought that was pretty extreme, but guess what? It didn't come onto our shores. Right. So mm -hmm. there, there's I, I just the, the ignorance to science, the ignorance that we've had um, not fully staffing our State Department, not listening to the CDC and, and other medical experts out there. I, I just don't understand why, because one of the platforms that Trump has been successful with is the growth in our economy and the stock market. And we can discuss that down the road. But the stock oh, we, market oh, we is will. The economy. <laughs> we, oh, we, oh, we definitely will. Once, once, I, once we get to the actual stimulus, Joe, I definitely want to ask you some questions. I definitely I can't ask our guests. In hand, <laughs> ready to roll. It is my job to report on the markets. But um, just to, if we would have put some of these measures in place, we wouldn't be struggling with the economy right now because the fact of the matter is, the services jobs that were lost are not going to come back. Yeah, and that's an issue. Yeah, so. This is where we are. And then you also, on top of that, the election transition, whether Trump remains in power, whether Biden assumes the role of presidency is not clear. And that lends to more uncertainty and volatility in the markets, not even just the markets, because at the end of the day, Main Street really doesn't care. Um, and I think that's really where the issue lies. So, you know, whenever you're ready to get into the markets and you want to talk about that, like I, I can, you know, explain where those differences are. We, we will get there. But Nash, I want to throw this to you. You know, the public reaction, a lot of people have been wishing him well, obviously, like, you know, even to the point where, you know, like people on MSNBC, MSNBC Rachel Maddow, right? Like people who've been calling him a racist, a homophobe, a, a version, a second coming of Hitler, if you will, or even wishing, or even wishing him well. 
right? Like, even someone like Rachel Maddow was wishing him well. It's kind of just like, well, what? Why? Like, that's kind of, it doesn't really make sense. So you don't really think he's a Hitler then if you're wishing him well. But then other people are saying, I hope he dies a slow, painful death. Now, Nash, like, I, I for one, am happy that he is safe. He is the president. You know, there does come a certain respect of even humanity in that. But the fact that some people literally don't consider him a human and hoped he would, like, vomit or choke and literally die a slow and painful death. It's just, like, politics matters to that much. It's cr- oh, of course it's, it does. Everybody's two-faced during an election year. It's crazy to me, right? And you can even flip it on its head, right? Like, say it was Bernie Sanders that was sick. Or say, like, you know, when, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, right? Like, people on the right, I'm sure people were saying, I'm glad she's dead. And people on the left who are now saying, I'm glad Trump, I hope he dies, would be the exact same to flipping flipping sides. It's the hypocrisy that really just angers me in this whole society, this political system we're in. And I try and be consistent as much as I can. You know, it's impossible to not be a, a hypocrite. But you got to be as consistent as much as you can. And Nash, I want to know where you land on the fact of, like, people wishing him death and people who would wish him death are now wishing him well. I mean, I totally understand um, just sort of that mindset. I understand why they would say that. It doesn't really have, because it's more they're using him as a catalyst for their sort of aggression, you know, what's making them upset. Because honestly, what I would say is it's not surprising that he got it so much to say just because how when after George Floyd died, there was that reignition in sort of the BLM movement and then the coronavirus combined with that too. And both of his approaches to those was like a lackadaisical, just sort of not really a lot was done from the executive branch just in general. So I can understand the frustration from people a lot. That's honestly where I have found the most frustration, I think, in his office personally, just because it's sort of like those two types of things are incredible things that happen, very rare things that happen. They both require sort of a strict diligence and a very well-defined leadership, and nobody got that from anyone. Yeah. But he's in the office to be that. So that's I can understand the frustration. It doesn't do anybody good to, you know, wish them bad. You know, it just sort of makes you feel a certain way about it. Right, but is, but it, is it ever it's okay? Not is it ever okay to wish bad on someone? Like, if Kim Jong Un got the disease, I would hope he dies, right? Because he is a he's just a disgusting human being who has done crimes against humanity, right? Like even someone like like a, like a Putin or like if uh, like like a Hitler, right? I bet a bunch of people in the U.S. and on the world were wishing him death in, in during World War II. Like, when is it ever okay? And I don't think Trump is like any of those people. I'm not a fan of his. He has a lot of faults. I've bashed him on the show. I've had to defend him on the show even when I don't want to. But, like, where is that line? And the fact that some people do see that line with this guy, it's just, it's crazy to me that, these, that, that the people in this country are just so far on other ends, they don't even look at logic or even look at facts. It's just such oh, a— well- Go ahead, Joe. Let me, let me step in here for a minute. And, Go and for I it. Under, I understand the parallels that you're making— um, and here's a couple of things here. I am a giant believer in karma. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm definitely not religious, but I'm a believer in karma. Um, and whether these people are evil or not, their families are innocent with association. So you have to think about that. The other thing is when we talk about Trump, whether you support him or not, um, it's a big national security issue for us. And I think this is what your listeners need to understand is if, God forbid something happened to him and we can't figure out how the medicine is working. 
Um, if And my bigger issue is because it's so chaotic right now, we look very vulnerable and our mm -hmm. adversaries are picking up on that. So any kind of uncertainty that you can remove from the conversation is a good thing. Um, you know, our adversaries understand that our State Department, as I mentioned before, other areas of government have been stripped down. Um, they know that it's so divisive in the U.S. right now. That is a national security issue. And I believe we're going to touch on this later. But, for example, they had a militia at the Michigan governor's door. Yeah. What, uh, yeah. We're Americans. Like, what, what the heck? Like, how does that even happen? So I think... You know, besides the karma end of it, it's the national security that, that like that keeps me up at night. Mm -hmm. Well, we we can do a quick pivot to that, Joe. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, the the coup, the staged coup that that didn't happen, thank God. How does something like that happen? I think the answer is pretty simple, honestly. Um, you know, the media is going to blame Trump and his rhetoric. And now he he did have, he has tweeted out like, "Little liberate Michigan." Governor Whitmer has been doing a terrible job. Someone needs to do something. You know, he's a president. He probably should do something. But regardless, you know. His rhetoric does play a part in it. I don't think it's as much as the media says. I think I say maybe 10%, maybe 20% if I'm being generous. But mainly, I think if you look at these people who actually play in this coup, what has this situation been like since March? They probably lost their job. They probably can't pay rent or mortgage. They probably don't know where the where next food, is, food meal is going to come from. They have been able to pay their bills. The debt is piling up. They're going to get evicted in 2021. And they're mad at the government because the government has failed. No stimulus checks are coming in. We got a one-time payment of $1,200 and a, a, a extension of unemployment. I don't know what state this was, but they had millions upon millions of phone calls coming in. And 0.05% of those calls were picked up. So no right. one's and, getting oh, help. And, and Will, and that is your point. Exactly. Right. So when you talk about stimulus and so forth, that is on the federal level. Yeah. And I think not even just Obama, but presidents um, in the past, if you don't agree with a political persuasion, I also think that Trump has an issue with any woman that's in power. Clearly, the governor of Michigan is a, a woman. Um, he is. Look, and this is what bothers me the most. Right. Um, whether I agree with him or not. He is the president of the United States. His sole job should be protecting his constituents, the citizens of the United States. And the fact that he is so clear that he gives a shit about the red and not the blue states mm -hmm. is so concerning yeah. to me. We yeah. should all be his people. And I, I can't understand how this has been allowed to happen if, if you know, if you're the president of the United States and, and, and a militia goes to attack one of your state's governors, you should be condemning that in a heartbeat. It yeah. shouldn't even be an afterthought. Yeah. And look, this isn't me expressing my political views. This is me as an American who's clearly concerned with how the federal government supports its states and local municipalities. Mm -hmm. And those, and yeah, that, that's a very good point to make too. Because historically, when that does happen, that's how it gets met almost immediately <laughs> from every president that's had to deal with that. Yeah, and those people will be tried. They should be tried as domestic terrorists. They should go to jail probably for the rest of their life. It doesn't matter what their economic situation was or why the reason why they did it. You can't just do that. And they should and will be tried to the fullest extent of the law as domestic terrorists. But you do have to look at, okay, what is causing these people to do this? Because if things continue the way they are, 
that's not going to be the last time it happens. And next time it could succeed. And that is well, terrifying. You are so 100% correct. And I'm so glad you brought that up because 2020 has also been a year of socioeconomic and um, broader cultural issues has really been the earmark of this year. And I understand frustration. I Look, I have been through a number of layoffs. I, I, I went through it after 9-11. I went through it after the financial crisis, which is why I went from trading to media. Um, you know, the trading desk I was on shut down its equity division in entirety. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck unemployment. I know what it's like to dig so hard out of a credit hole to finally get back to something that's a respectable credit score to have some sort of savings. I get it. I'm there. I've been there. Mm -hmm. But when you have the president who you support talking about, hey, you know, yo, the stock market's at all time highs, these people are most likely not invested if they're in a dire economic situation. And I would be livid if that is what my leader is predicating yeah. his success on. If the economy was doing better, I get that. Presidents are typically credited with economic success because policy influences economics. It doesn't necessarily impact the stock market. So mm -hmm. the whole thing is, is, you know, I'm not worried about my stock portfolio. I'm worried about having a job. I'm worried about yeah. having benefits that will put food on my table. Like people can't pay their rent. And what happens is if they can't pay their rent, we get that on a human level. Then their landlords can't pay the rent that's on their buildings. And then guess what, guys? It That also transcends how do the banks support this? Because this is what we went through in 28, 29 with the great financial uh -huh. crisis where the banks couldn't meet their portfolios. So if it happens, I can't pay my rent, my landlord can pay his rent, and banks have to write off these loans, that's systemic risk. That is what causes a traditional recession. Such a good point. <laughs> yeah, like Nash, 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 break that down for me. I understood most of those words. <laughs> well, no, it's kind of what I brought up um, a while ago when coronavirus was just starting. Yeah. It's sort of like, the real pressure on most Americans having to pay rent and now that they don't have access to a job, they're not going to be able to pay it. So it's, I, my very rudimentary, you know, solution was that we should have some sort of debt forgiveness. We should have some sort of halt on payments because when you have so many people not being able to pay their rent, it's going to trickle up and trickle up until it gets to the banks. And which is kind of what put us here because the issue that happened in 2007 with the housing crisis, there wasn't ever really a solution. The The federal loan that was given to the banks wasn't re, reinvested into people creating businesses. They just sort of held on to the money. So Nash, let me respond to that real quick. So what happened with the financial crisis is very, very different than what we're seeing right now. Um, we had banks that were giving out loans like they were lollipops to people who were making, I don't know, maybe combined household income of a hundred grand a year. They had a primary residence, their house. Then they were buying- It wasn't a secure loan to give. It, well, and then they packaged these loans, right? Yeah. So here, but the silver lining to the financial crisis was the banks were um, regulated to such a point that they had to capitalize themselves in such a way that if they did, if we didn't go through the great financial crisis, can you imagine the collapse- that would have happened. Oh yeah, no, exactly. Right. And that's the whole thing. So you have to look at it like, like, like that. And so how do you, you know, how do you rectify that? Even if you say people should have rent forgiveness and you guys, I'm, I'm going to give you a very high level overview of how it looks for commercial real estate. When 
um, commercial real estate owners or people who lease the property go to their bank and they get their loans and they negotiate their mortgage, they have to have a certain amount of income to justify the mortgage so the bank understands the risk that's coming on. Nobody mm-hmm. predicted a pandemic where, think of the cities in New York, think about the cities in California, oh, or yeah. Chicago, where there is no income. So the banks have not analyzed their risk portfolio with that in mind, right? So it's easy to say, let's forgive rent or mortgages on a human level. I get that 1000%, but mm-hmm. we have to rectify what that means to the financial system because we will have to pay the piper at some point. Our deficit was exploding even before we had the stimulus packages. So then it becomes, do we increase corporate taxes? Do we increase personal income taxes? The piper has to be paid. And that's where we are right now. Yeah, it's the classic kick in the can down the road discussion, which I have heard just multiple times in the past few years. Is they keep kicking the can down the road. Um, and even in 2008, you know, people make the argument that you just kept kicked the can down the road, reinflated the bubble, and now the crash is going to be even worse. So, you, Jill, you mentioned how the crash is going to be catastrophic back then, but how bad is it going to be now because they built up the banks back then? You know, well, it, it's really hard to tell. And part of the issue is this is happening. This is basically like a confluence of the worst forces that can come together. We're in an yeah. election year. Yep. We have a pandemic, yep. which mm-hmm. in modern times we have never had to deal with. We have a chaotic administration and political environment, like nothing we've ever seen before. So with that said, and we saw this in the debates, we haven't discussed policy. We don't know what tax policy is going to be like. Yeah. We don't know what healthcare policy is going to be like. We saw a tweet from, you know, Trump who hasn't addressed healthcare in quite some time. Like that was one of the things he ran on in 2016, but nothing's happened in four years. We don't know what that's going to look like. All of these policies, these, these higher level policies trickle down into everything. What does it mean for housing? What does it mean for retirement? What does it mean for healthcare? So without clarity and policy, it's really hard to say. And Will and Ash, I'm glad you brought that up because while we're focusing on um, COVID-19 and we're focusing on the election, we're also in the thick of earnings season. The big banks have traditionally kicked off earnings season. Yeah. And everyone's like, okay, we know earnings. It's a kitchen sink for the remainder of the year. But we'll be paying attention to guidance. What co- corporate management is saying going into next year if they don't understand what policy looks like and this is especially more important for small and mid-sized businesses they don't know what it's going to look like when it comes to tax policy when it looks like uh, you know with the supply chain what it looks like to imports and exports and that's the issue we just we honestly have no idea what q1 is going to look like and 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 between that and the risks with COVID-19, these are the things that like keep me up at night. These are the things I ask the people I interview what they think it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I think that's that's an incredibly good point to make, too, just how much of this is getting swept under the rug without an actual solution sort of really being attempted. Like that, that The impacts for that are, just, are astronomical. <laughs> I, I don't even know where to begin with all of that. Yeah. um, And and this is where we are. So, um, you know, part of the issue is when we see tweets like we saw today, and and the bigger issue is why we're conducting policy on Twitter is beyond me, but um, that's the environment that we're in. When you see a tweet, you know, markets almost at all time highs, it goes back to the points that the three of us have made before 
that's not what people are thinking about yeah. on mm-hmm. Main Street. They are they don't worried care. about. They don't. And, and look, with you guys, I don't want to sound like you know I'm the old lady with my Werthers on my porch, but <laughs> oh my, my, my butterscotch Werthers on my porch. Like, get off my lawn. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, is that you guys are fortunate that you have developed your careers and have transitioned where you're focused more on the media and tech side of it. People who are in services like mm-hmm. travel, like food, like hotels, like airlines, all that kind of stuff, they don't have the opportunity. To, they don't have the luxury of what the three of you are doing right now. I mean, Will and I, you know, we work together at NASDAQ. Unfortunately, we've been able to pivot to a virtual environment and the markets have been resilient enough to keep us employed. And believe me, having gone through two layoffs due to situations like this, I get that. But the the bigger seismic shift that needs to happen is we need to retrain Americans to have these skill sets. So mm-hmm. when we talk about bringing the coal industry back online, when we talk about you know the oil sector coming back online, that is um, it is not a long term strategy. Mm-hmm. I know there's a big thing when we talk about infrastructure spend and the Green New Deal, and I know when you say green. We associate it with Bernie Sanders. I know when we talk yeah. about climate change, we think of, you know, um, granola, Birkenstock wearing people. The issue is, and here's the <laughs> issue, is that it is not about that. And for Trump, the low-hanging fruit, and I hate that term, would have been infrastructure spend. Because the fact of the matter is, if you want to retrain people for these newer economy jobs like technology, like EV, electronic vehicles, um, sustainable uh, sources of energy, that is where the future is going. And the fact of the matter is we're so far behind when it comes to Europe and APAC because they are mm-hmm. employing these strategies. Um, you know, it, like that spend is not just about these green energy companies, if you will. This is about the future of America's education and skill set. Yeah. And that's what the key is. Like, it, it makes no sense to, like, I just don't understand it. And I think if you have the infrastructure spend, you have the education, and it's a seismic shift. It's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to mm-hmm. cost a lot of political buy-in. Um, and then you need the average American that is going to have to get on board and 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 do this. And you guys, like I've I've been there personally myself. Like I went to community college the first few years because then I went to the city to work. I finished off my degree online, Will, which you're very well aware of, mm-hmm. at UMass. Yep. I'm applying for grad school for online work because I know I'm not going back on the trading desk. Like the sell side of the business is not what it was when I started in the late 90s. So I've had to invest in my education, my time. Will, as you know, I've, I've handed in papers on almost every continent on this planet <laughs> with my travel. Yep. Like, but it has to happen. You will not survive otherwise. Yeah, Nash, Nash knows my good old phrase, adapt or die. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, like, Jill, all those phenomenal points, and it starts with it starts with the top. It starts with our leadership. It starts with the people we elect coming together to have these kind of conversations, to come up with these plans. Instead, they're bickering over stimulus, and they're bickering over how much money to give for how what, sec- what sector. They're bickering about, you know, 
what needs to be in it. They're blaming on whose fault. And I, you know, my thing is, like, you know, you get whose fault it is, but then what do you do after? So let's go into this stimulus. In a series of tweets on Tuesday, President Trump said he is halting all negotiations on the COVID stimulus package after until after election, adding, quote, immediately after I win, we will pass a major stimulus bill. Now, there's so many things wrong with that quote just in and of itself. It's just like, oh, so you're going to say we're not going to give you anything unless you vote me in. That sounds like well, it's, that sounds like it should be illegal <laughs> at the very least. Especially, it's, well, it's, ag- it's aggressively anti-Republican. Yeah. Well, it, well, okay. So, oh my God, Nash, I'm so glad that you said that because <laughs> traditionally, um, fiscal spending has been like the cornerstone of the GOP and um, conservative policy. Here's a couple things. Here, you have to think about how Trump has traditionally done negotiations where he'll be at a table he'll leave and then he'll come back to the table to make himself look so think about it like this and you know there was an excellent point that was made i don't it wasn't msnbc because to be honest with you guys if you listen to msnbc and fox it's like you're living in two different countries and i just can't listen to the both of them anymore um i listen to cnbc all day long because it's my job to report on markets but somebody made it you know a, a great point that um it's almost being treated like a casino yes you were doing well yes you inherited a fabulous economy but the fact of the matter is it's not anymore and it requires management and it requires mm-hmm. leadership and we don't have that and that's where the issue is so when you see that you know i'm pulling stimulus off the table he saw the reaction to the market and then um he, and i actually thought this was a pretty interesting strategic move on his part he came in a little bit higher than what the republicans were going to give and a little bit lower than what the dems were willing to concede for so he comes in the middle looking like a rock star because he's like, I'm ready to do this. Yeah, literally hours literally hours later, Trump appeared to backtrack yeah. and urged so, Congress but, to immediately approve about this another round of stimulus checks. As an investment manager, right? How you know, how do you manage your strategy? And even more important than that, if you're the average person who's relying on these stimulus checks and Basically, okay, so it's so funny. I don't know if you guys are old enough to know this, but the movie um, Friday, which is like one of my favorite movies, I know every single line to it, but there's one part where one of the characters goes, you're playing with my emotions, Smokey. And that's exactly what it is. Like you're you're, you're playing on people's, guys, if you have not watched the original Friday, um, I don't know what you're thinking. Nash, add it to Midnight Showing, bro. Add add it to Midnight Showing. I'm writing it down. Honestly, we have to like set up a Zoom or a Google Hangouts or whatever and have a lot of drinks and watch Friday and Dumb and Dumber, the original Dumb and Dumber together. Oh, hell yeah. Now now we're talking. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> Just go, man. Um, so anyway, it reminded me of that thing where like, Smokey, you're playing with my emotions. That's how it is. Like they're, you're, they're, we're testing policy out on Twitter and it's so bizarre. And um, I think that's really what the issue is. It's like the market. And here's why I think the market is doing well, Will and Nash. I'm going to give you um, not only my theory, but other people's theories on this as well. We know a stimulus package is coming at some point, Mm -hmm. whether it's like a backdoor surprise before the election or if the um, if it swings to Biden, we know in January, February, there's going to be stimulus. We know there's going to be infrastructure spend. So the market is pricing that in. Right. But 
the market is what they call a discounting mechanism, meaning it prices stuff in like six months and out. But for the people who need these stimulus checks now, four to five months doesn't work. And that's a concern mm -hmm. because that's when you start looking at systemic economic breakdown, where if you can't pay your rent, small businesses don't come back online. Banks don't get paid. That's the issue. Yeah. Um, so the while the back market, well, you're hundred percent right. And while the market is pricing in um, different scenarios, the economy is not the market. And you guys, if you want to hashtag, like the hashtag is the economy, uh, excuse me, the market is not the economy. Mm -hmm. Like you should be saying that all over the place. And that's the issue because look, I'll tell you what, when I went through my layoffs, I was in my early twenties. I, I, I was, you know, it didn't matter to me what the stock market was doing, but it mattered to me when my credit score was getting shellacked and I was living paycheck to paycheck and oftentimes missing rent. I get it. I've been there. So these are these are the issues that the, the, the economy between the market and the economy is the issue. So when you have someone tweeting ad nauseum about the stock market and no one understanding the economic impact, that's where the concern is. And look, it has nothing to do with um, Trump or the Republicans or the Democrats. It, it's anyone, anyone in that position of power doing that would be on my shit list like that. It's not a good thing. Yeah. It's not true. I feel like the average American doesn't care about anything that Trump or Biden is saying. Like he, he touts about the stock market, like the NDX all time highs, the Dow is all time highs, like whatever. Now I heard this style a long time ago. Julie, Julie can probably attest to the accuracy of this, but the stock market, um, 92% of the stock market is made up of the top 10% of the country. I would say it's even less than the top 10% of the country. And I don't have the exact stats on that, but you are absolutely right. So, um, so, saying, about... so saying that the stock market is up means literally nothing. <laughs> it's like the general health of the country. But, okay. But let, let's talk about that. And, and that's a great point that you're making, Will, because you and I talk about the NASDAQ 100 every day, mm -hmm. right? It's part of our job. So there's a concentration of, let's say, the top 10 stocks that move that index, which it's been doing very well because, and Nash, I'll argue this, it's not the work from home stocks. It's the work from anywhere stocks. We're not just working from home. We're working yeah. from anywhere. Yeah. So those yeah. are the stocks that are doing well. What's been interesting with this week, and I'd even argue last week after we um, – probably bid to last week when we got out of, you know, some of the volatility that we saw, we're seeing broader participation. And what that means is, so we know the stocks that have been leading the market, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Zoom, those kind of stocks. Mm -hmm. But when you see participation in sectors that have been beaten up, financial sectors up for sure. And the reason being is with such a low interest rate environment, um, it's very challenging for banks to be profitable because there's something called net interest margin that relies on the level of interest rates. That's why we haven't seen participation in bank stocks, energy stocks, which were um, challenged even before COVID-19 because we have so much supply of oil and not enough demand. COVID-19 totally threw that off. And the issue oh, is, yeah. depending on where oil is trading, so I think it's like, as of tonight's recording, somewhere in the 38, 39, 
for especially American producers and refiners, if it's under that $40 level, it makes it very challenging for them to be profitable. So it's been a really tough time for energy and financial stocks. Small cap stocks, which are part of the Russell 2000 index, are really relying on interest rates, U.S. dollars, and you know basically the government being open. Um, we saw some participation there. My concern is going forward, and we know this in the Northeast especially, um, not only because of the cold weather, but the way that our local governments have handled it, without outdoor dining or outdoor services, we run into risk of shutting down services and restaurants again. And I will say one more thing. When you look at the airlines, they make their money off of corporate travel. Think about the services mm-hmm. industry. Will, you know this very well. I'm on yep. the road 25, 30 times a year. Yep. I have not paid for airline tickets. I have not paid for um, Ubers. I have not paid for meals. I have not paid for hotels. Now, times that by the millions of people that do what I do, right? So it's not going to be back online 100% 2021, probably more closer to 2022. You have all of these industries that employ so many people. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to think about. And um, that's really where I think the crux of the conversation needs to to be around. Well, Joe, I'm glad you brought up the airlines because that's one of the things they were bickering about this week. So P- Nancy Pelosi proposed at least a $2.4 trillion uh, in stimulus, but Trump said he would not agree to a deal of more than $1.6 trillion. And now a big part of this was the airlines. And then Trump came back and said um, he would approve another round of stimulus checks as well as a billion dollars uh, for both airline payroll support and the Paycheck Protect- Protection Program for small businesses. I guess who who needs the most support? Because like, and for me, in times like this, and Nash, you might agree to this, that um, in times like this, the most important people to bail out is the people, not let, let alone the industries or the corporations or the lobbyists. Like we saw in that first stimulus package, got bailed out. How the hell did that happen? But like, you need to bail out the actual people before anyone else. If the people, if, the, if bailing out the people means bailing out the airlines for the jobs, that's one thing. But this money shouldn't go to like big corporations because that trickle down doesn't exist. It should, but it doesn't. Nash, am I wrong? I don't. I don't think you are too wrong. What worries me so much is a lot of things <clears throat> are sort of teetering on the edge right now. And that was an incredible point that Jill brought up about sort of the outdoor dining aspect because uh, just where we live, Daffy, you know, we see a lot of it sort of. Yeah. It's getting, staying it's above the water because the weather's been <laughs> yeah. pretty temperate. But one thing to consider is just if another thing that we're not expecting happens again. So if you're in the United States, if you're, you know, anywhere from like Mississippi below, Texas below, snowfall usually isn't that big of a deal. But what if it has, what if they have a snowstorm? What if places that, usually have nothing to do with that type of weather what if that tiny thing like how much would that impact it when it's already yeah. on the edge yeah just just four years ago i grew up in Brandy, massachusetts my dad was like it snowed every weekend from the middle of december to the end of march every single weekend it snowed they had like three feet four feet for the entire year businesses can't operate like it's it rained today businesses couldn't operate as well now in hoboken you know indoor restaurant is a thing but it's like, do you bail them out? Like, who, who, who gets bailed out first? Like, you know, and that we've, we, this, this is not the first, this is not the second on a stimulus. They've been met multiple stimulus packages. There's been $7 trillion of debt added just this year. 
our debt, our national debt is now higher than what the country's GDP is. That's a good point, Will. And like, what do we do? What do we do? So there's, well, here's a couple of things. Um, like what your dad said. I remember, I know what winter he's talking about, but when it, we can't be bailed out forever, right? right. It, this can't mm-hmm. be a culture of participation trophies, right? So when you are a smaller or mid-sized business, you take on an extraordinary amount of risk and you need to be able to plan these things out. Do I need to open up a second or third chain? Perhaps I need to think about what would happen if these scenarios lie. And I'll tell you guys, something I've learned really well from trading, um, options traders will tell you this. When you go into a trade, your first thought shouldn't be, how much money can I make? It's it's right. intuitive to do so, but your first question needs to be, what's my loss? And that is how risk managers think. That's what successful traders and, and executive teams think. What is my risk? How am I planning? So you can't bail out everything. Clearly, COVID-19 was not on anyone's radar, no, anyone's radar. Um, and so that's part of it. There is that you have to have some sort of risk accountability as well. Um, the the other point I would like to make is, you know, when you think about the airlines, it's a little bit different of a scenario because of the amount of people they employ. They have an incredibly strong union, and what happens with the airlines trickles down to hotels and other services industries. You also think about this: pilots, I believe, have to have. I know they do. I don't know the exact. Um, um, data behind it, but they have to have so many consistent hours in the air to legally be able to fly by the FFA, by the FFA. So that's part of the issue too. You can't furlough a pilot for six months, 12 months, because they won't be able to fly unless they have the hmm. airtime and the training, which makes a hundred percent sense to me. Right. So I understand wow. the urgency there. So you have to think about that as well. Um, I don't know what it's like for Flight attendants, um, I would imagine there's some sort of consistent training they need to have. But as an airline pilot, you have to have consistent miles in the air in order to operate an aircraft. So that's why it was, you know, um, when the first thing was like, oh, uh, we're not negotiating um, stimulus until after the election. He came, Trump came out with something separate with the airlines because you literally cannot have people operate aircraft. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like this, some people don't even think stimulus shouldn't happen at all because of what it does to the economy. So, like Joe, when we, when we, when we just write these checks, like Powell gets or whatever, this they they print the money, the money machine. Now, now you know, back a long time ago, people would say, you know, as a, as a kid, they say, won't they just print more money? It's because it doesn't. That doesn't work like that. It's not that simple. But literally, this year, all we have done is print money. Where is it gone? It's kind of hard to say. You know, some a lot of it went to the military. Uh, the Pentagon got a shit ton of money from the from from the stimulus and went to the military. But like, Joe, my question to you is, what does all this stimulus, seven trillion dollars, this this just before and it's October twelfth right now, what does all this stimulus actually do to the economy for better or worse, short term and right, long term? That's an awesome question, Will, because there's two separate things here. The Fed is separate than the Treasury. So you have right. Jay Powell who heads up the Fed, you have Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin. So the stimulus is coming out of um, Mnuchin's department, the secretary, and what we're seeing happening with the Fed comes out of um, Jay Powell. And it's interesting what the Fed is, 
you know, we always hear this talk, oh, they're propping up the market, they're inflating assets. What I think was interesting, because for the first time, they were buying especially fixed income ETFs. And ETFs are basically a product that encapsulates a an asset class underneath it, which it, right. it's more liquid to trade, if you will. It's different than a mutual fund. But the thing is, it kind of makes sense through the March and April volatility we saw because you needed that liquidity in the market for these assets to have the facility to trade. That's one thing. When we talk about stimulus, that's like the argument that we're having right now, which is why um, Mnuchin and Pelosi are going back and forth. That's coming from the treasury. That's basically like, 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 like people's money, if you will. Um, and the question is, and because the debates and the environment's been so chaotic, we don't know how this get, gets paid off. So your question is, well, okay, you know, if the stimulus, if um, the Treasury and the Fed just print money, well, so what, right? Okay, well, that's why inflation happens. If you print so much money, things yeah. get more expensive because the yeah. dollar is not worth as much. I've seen yep. it in, I've noticed with meat prices, milk um, and like like other grocery side of things, it's more expensive. So that's why it matters. When you hear about things, you know, a loaf of bread, people will be standing in line for days for a loaf of bread that would cost, you know, X amount of dollars. It's because money was being printed. It wasn't worth anything. Yeah. That's another good question I actually have. Like, what is going to happen to the U.S. dollar? Because right now, like the world's reserve currency is the U.S. dollar. Right, mm -hmm. it, it was the gold standard. Nash, I believe Nixon was the one who t took it off the gold standard. You're the historian. Um, yeah, he did. So, <laughs> what's a what's a knock? Who knows? Right. So, like, if we if we keep pumping stimulus and the gold standard goes down, or the dollar the dollar goes down, how soon before the rest of the world is like, all right, we're gonna ditch the U.S. dollar and go back to gold? That is such an interesting debate, and there are scholars and strategists out there way more brilliant than I to carry that conversation, but that certainly is something that has come back into play. Now, when you think about the US dollar, typically when it's lower, it, it, it's better for commodity stocks or um, or assets like gold or oil yeah. or um, because it, it's cheaper for it to buy. It's typically better for, for stocks as well. Um, when it gets more expensive, it makes global trade more expensive. And that's what the issue is. But you're absolutely right. Like, where is that? Um, like, where's the medium there? And I think and it goes back to what we were saying before. What's our position in the world? How strong does the U.S. look? I, I mean, I'll tell you what, if I was overseas and I know APAC is growing, I know Europe has somewhat of, you know, a relative cohesive strategy. Do I necessarily want to engage with U.S. partners. Why would you commit that amount of capital? And on the trade side, that's a whole other interesting conversation on the actual like physical, not stock market trading, but the trade side of how imports and exports work. Uh, people are, you know, they're, they're reevaluating what that looks like. Um, and it happens so fast and so quickly that you don't, you know, we, we don't have the luxury of time uh, mm -hmm. to figure out what that mm -hmm. looks like going forward. But, well, that's a great conversation to have. And um, I have a number of gold and dollar experts that could really give you guys some good input. Yeah. Jill, do you know who Peter Schiff is? Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah. So he, I listened to his pod, I listened to his podcast, like whenever I knew it, like he's pretty much the one I get my economic information from other than yourself, obviously. But like, those are the two people, like you guys are the two people I listen to when it comes to the economy. Um, and he's big on gold. Um, so like, but I like this, the economic impact, you know, Powell himself, 
he's concerned. You know, like he like he was talking a while ago, we weren't even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates. But now he's paying a grim picture where the economy is headed as incredibly unusual remarks. Uh, he said, quote, too little support would lead to a weak recovery, creating unnecessary hardship for households and businesses. Over time, household insolvencies, I read that word right, and business bankruptcies mm-hmm. would, ri- would rise, harming the productive capacity of the economy and holding back wage growth. By contrast, the risk of overdoing it, uh, overdoing it seemed for now to be smaller. So, Jill, to a dummy like me, can you say that in layman's terms? I usually have to gnash, but since you're the, since you're the econ- Jill, economic Jill knows secretary, a lot more than yeah, me this time. Right? So I, 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 love, I love saying gnash, just explain not, it to me like I'm a moron, but Jill, you're an expert here. Please explain it to me like I'm four yeah, years well, old. You're definitely not a moron because um, basically I call you and text you all day long like like – Help me with my life, and well, I know, I know, show. I know tech, <laughs> I know Adobe Audition, I know streaming, but when it comes to economics, I go to you yeah. or Nash. It's one of you two. <laughs> so, well, but this is what it comes back to before Will and Nash. What we were talking, I love that. It's almost like, oh my gosh, I can't think of the name of the gun company. Um, oh, Smith and Weston. Yeah, Smith and Weston. <laughs> <laughs> Nash from the South, he knows guns. Okay, here's a stock market expert who can't even like you know recall the name. But um, you guys, it goes back to what we were saying before, how with lack of being able to pay rent and and inject uh, consumer spend into services industries, that is the true mark of a classic recession. So um, that's what the issue is. It's, it's not, you know, when you talk about the stock market, that's one thing, but if people can't pay their rent, their bills, food shop, consumer shop, which would be interesting because as you guys know, we're going into, um, you know, holiday 2020 shopping. That's mm-hmm. what leads to a classic recession. And you have to understand too. So GDP gross domestic product, which are, you know, all the receipts that come in into the U S economic spending, um, 70% of that is allocated to consumer spend. And will, you might recall from all the millions of interviews you've had to sit through, um, what did we talk about in 2018 and 2019? The strength of the consumer is what led mm-hmm. the market higher, right? So in 2020, as the page turns and the narrative shifts, it's no longer the consumer. It's the work from anywhere stocks that are moving it. But we have, you know, the majority of the profit made for retail happens in Q4 holiday spend. And that's kind of, you know, part of where Powell was going from. And I I, I think why we had some chaos around the stimulus package was the market clearly reacted to what Powell said, because it, it makes sense. I'd like, I get that. Um, so, you know, just because you have access to the treasury and you can print money and have stimulus checks and so forth, it doesn't mean that the underlying economy is okay. And I don't want to be, again, you guys, I don't want to come across as having a certain persuasion to one side or the other or being doom and gloom, if you will. But I think we have to take off the rose colored glasses and, and critically look at what this means. And, and I think that's where, you know, Powell has the same concerns. I mean, it comes to a point where you need to look at reality, right? Like the, the real unemployment rate, you know, meaning people, they just, they don't count discouraged workers. So I think the unemployment rate's what now like around like maybe 10%. But the real unemployment is close to 20, 25 percent. You know, you have upwards of 28 million people who can't pay their rent up to 30 percent of the country who who literally don't know where the next meal is going to come from. Like, screw the economy. How do we fix that? 
right? Like that, that is a big issue. And then a lot of it might be, okay, you pump in the stimulus, but then it goes, okay, how does that affect the economy? So like, Nash, you have a blank check. And yep. how much would you write for stimulus and where would you put it? Oh my gosh. I'm I know that's a very, that's that. very tough question. I know that that's literally the question politicians are asking each other right now. That's what Pelosi and Mnuchin are trying to discuss right now. And just having this conversation makes me realize, okay, it's not just that simple as just bail out the people. Right, because it's not, you know, back in March they were just like, all right, we'll build the corporations and see what happens. It'll go away by summer. Yeah, but it didn't. Uh, yeah, exactly. You got to hope for it. it. Seemed more like they were asking themselves what flavor of ice cream they'd have. <laughs> but for me personally, it's sort of like tech, for instance, because that's sort of where my expertise lies the most in. What you see most in is medium-sized businesses are where it starts. It doesn't really start small because. Tech is something that if you don't know anything about it, you're probably not going to hear a lot about. We all know it's important for sure, but most people that are operating a business, you know, it's something that sort of gets brushed off to the side and not until they have some sort of third party or somebody else come in and explain how it's incredibly important and can save things. But right now it's hard to see that because if you're a medium sized business, that really isn't on the forefront of your cost because it's something that you know nothing about and it's incredibly hard to explain if you know nothing about it large businesses can do it i think relatively easier because most of them right now are tech you know you see amazon and microsoft they can they can kill that because that's all they do they know the importance of it and they can thrive off of that they don't necessarily need the face-to-face -face that everybody else does but if you look at somebody like a construction company they may have nobody that understands the technical side, how important that is, but they're probably not going to spend on it, even though it could probably save them in the long run and, and do them a lot of good. Now they're not just going to understand that. So it's, it's very difficult. That's sort of my whole principle on this thing is where do I put the money? Cause I can't think of putting it in one place is going to help everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That is, um, well, that's a very good point. And I'm going to leave you guys with this final thought because I'm pitching myself for a future podcast with you guys. I, <laughs> I am going to hop. I so self, like totally self, like no shame whatsoever. So um, I'm actually hopping to another webinar, which is around decentralized finance and blockchain and digital assets and how that is what's leading the global economy to how we transact payments to how we make um, the financial system democratized to everyone. Um, well, I mean, you know, we, we have, you know, covered this multiple times in the past. So I'm going to hop off to something like that. And um, I would love to come back. I am so shameless. And oh, absolutely not. How, Perfectly all right. <laughs> how decentralized finance works and, and all of the opportunity that lies there. But um, I want to thank the both of you. This has been, I mean, honestly, if I was going to this webinar, I would have spent all night with you guys and hopefully have not bored your entire audience. But um, <laughs> I think these are important conversations to have. I think we need to look at what's happening now, economically, politically, and socially, and what it could potentially look like going forward when we look at different ways to access, you know, access capital markets and finance. And I think that's such an exciting conversation to have. Um, so I'm, 
incredibly grateful and this was so much fun of and course jill thank you so oh, yeah. much awesome. so much for being on this show i know i know how busy a schedule is so i was about to wrap it up anyway but jill you're welcome <laughs> back anytime i will see you oh, tomorrow gosh. morning and uh thank you so much for educating us you definitely have to do this again and again i told you since the date since the day i met you you need your own podcast so please keep that in mind I totally agree while you're on that <laughs> webinar jill thank you very much i will see you and speak to you later. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Jill. Bye, guys. Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, that'll wrap up episode number 61 of the You Mad Bro podcast, chatting it up with the boss. Wow, Nash, I got to tell you, that was not at all how I thought this podcast would go, but goddamn, I'm happy it did. Oh, yeah, that was incredible. <laughs> Jill Jill just took the reins, like, don't worry, Will, I got this. I have <laughs> I have way more years of hosting experience than you do. I got this. Do sit in the back seat. And Nash, you were in the trunk. I'm planning to get to talk more. But ladies and gentlemen, no, if you want to hear me and Nash talk more, go to ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com to find more. Uh, next week, it'll be me and Nash again in the saddle talking about God knows what with God knows who. But go to our archives, listen to our full show, our medium article with us. If you caught us last week, a second one is coming this weekend. This one will have more personal information about us, us answering questions about this podcast and about you guys. So thank you so much for listening. Go to the Biggest Podcast Solutions to check out everything else. And we will see. Uh, Nash, I have to ask you a question. Fuck. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite Halloween costume? Like that I like to wear, or that I like that you, like, that, that you have that you have worn. That I have worn. I was like a lion for like two years in a row. And we'll be back next week as long as <laughs> you stay